Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation joy and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Diaro. Thank you, Darlene. For our guests today, please welcome Jeff Hoops, CEO, and Eric Foster, President and COO of Swinnerton. Swinnerton provides commercial construction and construction management services throughout the United States and is a 100% employee-owned company. Which started as a brick masonry and contracting company 130 years ago now boasts technical expertise in mass timber, seismic retrofits, and prefabricated technology and serves clients in aviation, healthcare, education, and renewable energy. For more information, feel free to visit www.swinnerton.com. That's www.swinnerton.com. Hello. Eric and Jeff, we're honored, really, and excited to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I want to like to start with early inspirations. What inspired you, you know, from as early recollections you can recall to kind of be, you know, who you are and what you've done? Share with us, Jeff, like, you know, where you, you know, there's sort of an epiphany. That's kind of funny. The earlier days I remember is my grandfather was a cement mason. And had his own company. And I still remember going to projects with him and watching him finish the concrete and out there on his knees finishing. And I, I still remember that as a child to this day. And my whole family, aunts, uncles, cousins, all in construction. And then um, my dad was a cabinet maker. Oh. And so he did that uh, until he passed away. But So I went to school, civil engineer. And then um, going down the street one day, saw some of these towers going up and thought that would just be... <laughs> Awesome. Did you really? Like, you, you, you saw I'm going, okay. Yeah, I was actually uh, in the city doing that and uh, saw some projects from Swinnerton Wahlberg going up and uh, went in and made a phone call. Turns out Swinnerton Wahlberg's upstairs and I uh, went up. They asked me to come up and say hello and I did and I left with a job offer about three hours later. And, did you really? Uh, yeah, yeah, right off the street. And it was really funny. And uh, so it was kind of like going and get a job offer and then. I decided to do that. I didn't pay great, but <laughs> <laughs> still, you were there. It was yeah. great. The timing was good. Yeah. And so I let, started as a junior estimator and began my my career through that process. Oh, that's terrific! So it was yeah. really fun. But right off the street, it was just exciting to see the buildings going up. And, yeah. And uh, physically see things versus 
you know, kips and pounds and engineering yeah, type yeah. stuff, but just to have physically see things go up is so cool. Yeah, no, I I, I totally feel you on that. That's great. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, Eric, share with your your early inspirations or uh, you know similar experience. similar to Jeff went to university and civil engineering and thought about being a, a structural engineer, but quickly learned it's a pretty introverted profession. It can be and teamwork and sports were important to me. And so I decided about my junior year at university that construction, construction management would be more suited towards my personality. I think, in fact, at our shareholders meeting, I just told a story about how I think being a general contractor is the ultimate uh, coach of a project. You've got a three-dimensional playing field. You've got subcontractors and architects and engineers, and you're coaching and forming a team to build a project, and it's super exciting to me. Yeah. It, it, along that segue into the, the, the coaching aspect, that Swinerton has been um, an existing, uh, 130 years, correct? 130, yes. 130, and license number, I love this, the license contractor's license number? 92. Okay, it's number yeah. 90, 92. How do you, and we discussed before the shows began, is in a lot of ways to be the caretaker of that type of legacy of 130 years may be more challenging than an actual startup. I know we're in an area where startups are, are big. It's kind of a mantra of not just a startup, but actually companies kind of want to think about a startup. But to actually carry the mantle and be the caretaker of a legacy, so to speak, of 130 years how do you kind of begin with that? I think it's really about the people, and I've read a lot, obviously, about Eric and, and Jeff, that it is people. How, how is, are, why are the people so vital, Jeff? You know. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. We started, like I said, 130 years ago, mm -hmm. 1888, with Swedish immigrant, last name of Lindgren. Okay. And is a brick mason and, uh, in Los Angeles, and then began to evolve and move into the Bakersfield area where there had been a huge grass fire and burned down the whole city in Bakersfield. I think that was probably in 18, early 19, 1890s. Right. And if we have some of the pictures. No and, way. Oh, yeah, they're oh. really cool. And you can see the, the rebuilding, but they have horses and carts, and there's no lights. Think about it, no electricity. And they're out there rebuilding the city with just their hands. That's oh. kind of cool. Some of the pictures are really cool. Guys oh. wearing their bow ties. And, no, even while they're working? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it used to be a profession where the plasters wore uh, bow ties and white shirts. And I mean, it was quite a profession to be a skilled craftsman. Yeah. And then we evolved into San Francisco in, I think, about 1904, 1905. Mm -hmm. And then we had the 1906 earthquake. And then in 1906, basically, the majority of the city burned to the ground. And that was all, everything was built by wood. Mm-hmm. And so we had been studying uh, reinforced concrete design. We have a partner at that point in Hicks. And it was Lingren and Hicks, the company here in San Francisco. And Hicks was a UC Berkeley graduate when he did. I'm not sure. A structural engineer. I think yeah. he might have been. I think it's Berkeley. And so we were prepared and we started building, rebuilding the city with reinforced concrete. Oh. And so here goes the history, right? Yeah. As you start building these yeah. towers and you see some of the buildings. Uh, in fact, Eric, maybe you can mention some of the buildings we built in that early part of right after the earthquake. You know, yeah. I, the the Fairmont Hotel was under construction when the earthquake hit. And it's pretty famous because Julia Morgan. Yes, Julia. Was, she was uh -huh. on the staff of the architectural team that finished that. We're a big fan of hers. We've done a number of her buildings. We did the Greek theater at uh, UC Berkeley. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and a few other buildings. A couple others, the, the uh, Pacific Telegraph and 
telephone tower was built in 1926. And I think it was the tallest building for 40 or 50 years in San Francisco. So those are two of big legacy projects. Yeah. And, and along the, the legacy project, is you, you talked earlier about uh, the foundation program. Share with us the Swinerton Foundation program. Yeah, what we do is we have a week-long training program for our new project engineers. And as part of that training program, it's mostly academic, but on Wednesday afternoon, we rent a motorized cable car. <laughs> Perfect. And we take them around San Francisco for about three hours and we drive by all the Swinerton projects uh, that we can remember we built. There's a bunch we've forgotten, (laughs) unfortunately, but it's super fun. And the the project engineers really get a sense of the responsibility and the legacy of of carrying on the company. Yeah. I like that you've forgotten how many buildings you've done. I mean, have you ever quantified? Is there a number? I don't want to put you on the spot. Is there kind of a... No, there, okay. we, we don't have a definite quantity. We've, Whoa, tar- we've torn that... some down we've built. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. How does that feel? Yeah, that feels uh, odd. Makes you feel old. <laughs> <That makes laughs> you old. Yeah, no, but really to tear down what you do and then to actually build it better, I guess. We've done it many times now. We're renovated and added on or all kinds of different options yeah. like that. But it's, been, it's fun watching that evolution, that business. And then we're building these buildings and then... Mr. Swinnerton got involved, and then Mr. Wahlberg became Swinner Wahlberg. And then, as far as evolution of the company, talk a little bit about that and going into uh, sure. transition into employee ownership. Is that in about 19, I think it was 19, early 80s, right. Mr. Swinnerton, Mr. Wahlberg, and Mr. Gates, who was CEO at the time running the business, wanted to transition the business because they felt that they wanted to bring it more people involved because they were the sole owners at that point. They owned the whole company. And, and this has been family-owned business for, what is that, almost 90 years at right. that point. Yeah. You know, they've done very well. They're wealthy at that point. And they're thinking, how can we, we need to retire. We need to leave this thing. And we don't really have children. In, I don't think any of the children are involved in that point. So how do we carry on the company without having the children involved and, and mm-hmm. moving it to that? So in about 1983, we started, moving into an ESOP, Employee Stock Ownership Program. And it was about a 50% ESOP, 50% uh, employee-owned program. And we began that evolution of moving that from two or three owners into 20 owners. And then it's evolved over time to this year where 525 management owners own 50% of the company. And then almost 2,000 people own, own the other 50%. So it's 100% employee-owned, and you can't be you can't have shares unless you're working here. Yeah, really? Yeah. I mean, that's just... How does it... Have you noticed a shift? I guess the only way you would really notice is if you, if you look at other companies that do not have that. Uh, I would think that it really gives people a real sense of, um, of ownership, obviously, but an ownership in what it is they do and their contribution, does it? Yeah, yeah I think... Succession planning is a huge challenge for construction companies. Um, one of the biggest challenges that they all face. And I think Swinerton's done a, a good job over the last 30 years of establishing a program that works. The employees are owners. When you leave the employment of the company, you sell your shares back to the, the employees that stay. And it creates um, accountability to one another. Yeah, that accountability, it sounds, I mean, just coming into your office, it seems like everybody's happy. That's no one really does. Yeah, it's a great place to work. Yeah. It really is. And as employee owners, like you're saying, is everybody has a piece of this company, and we're all responsible for each other. And so you think about that. I mean, one person can make a mistake and create problems for everybody, or one person can do a great job and create success for everybody. Mm-hmm. So our rules here is don't hide the cards. You always, if you have problems. <laughs> I like it. Don't hide the cards. Yeah, if you don't have problems, <laughs> you ask for help. 
And if you ask for help, you'll never get reprimanded for that. It'll be a lessons learned and we move forward. But if you try to hide the cards and hide the problems, then that's when you get in trouble. Yeah. So we always try to have a really open communication here. People asking for help if they need it. Everybody working together because we all succeed or fail together. It's really an interesting culture. Yeah. You see it when you walk in. People yeah, are you happy feel it. To be here. You, you feel don't it. even just see it. You, you yeah. feel it, especially when we're setting up there and you hear, um, you know, we hear laughter, children's laughter. I mean, oh, it's yeah. like, whoa, you're in a conference room <laughs> and you hear children's laughter. Share with us. I mean, this really gives a great example of that heart that uh, you, you guys have. Well, it's, like I said, you, you heard the kids. Yeah. And uh, it's the Monday before and the 4th of July on a Wednesday, which is really odd in the first place. <laughs> and uh, people are kind of confused for the week, I think. <laughs> yeah. And, a lot of daycares aren't open, so a lot of the folks have brought their children to work, and uh, they had commitments to take care of, and so we tell them to bring them in. We ordered some pizza, and everybody hung out, and you know they head out when, yeah. they, when they get their work done, and that's the way it is. Yeah. And uh, you know that's it's family, and everybody needs to be okay, and you got to make sure the home lives. Our, our challenge here is always trying to balance home life and work life, and that's a big challenge for us. I bet you most of our people work sixty hours a week. And we're trying to then, how do you balance family life and trying to get people to take Saturdays and Sundays off and spend it with their families. Mm -hmm. And we really focus on that balance of life. We don't do a great job at it. But we do. You're we so do honest. Our very no. best. We do our very best. Yeah. Where do you think that kind of comes from? I mean, because obviously you're trained, you know, you're engineers and uh, contractors, but you got to have something else. Like, where, if you can kind of pinpoint, where do you think that feeling or that want to be that human, for lack of a better term, it is actually the ultimate term, is t to be human comes from? You know, is there any personal experiences in your lives that you said you got to, you got to care? The culture here just, promotes that right because we're all employee owners we're all accountable for one another and you can't do a great professional job unless your personal life is is good and balanced and you just realize that because we work so long and and so hard together so mm -hmm. you just think you think more holistically about a person's uh life not just their job because they're your partner yeah yeah long-term partners like i said our four partners that manage the company day-to-day -day have been here 40 years 36 years, 35 years, and 18 years. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a full commitment to come in and be part of it. Yeah. Now, are your clients, do you, do you notice that your clients share the same values? A lot of your clients share the same type of values? S some do. And some, some okay. Don't. Yeah. Depends. We depend on the client, the good client or the bad client, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's because it, it, I, think, I think you're kind of going to attract what you value as a person. I mean, for the most part. No, that's a good point. Yeah. We, we work with certain clients. Most of our clients are, the majority of our clients are private and private developers. And we, we do well with some and we don't do so well with others. I mean, that's the truth because there's a matching of, of cultures that there's a matching. Yeah. Some clients we do really well with. And I think that's because they can pick up the phone, we'll go sit down, have a cup of coffee and talk about things. And there's other clients that, just scream and yell and send emails and <laughs> don't communicate. I mean, that's the okay, truth. Yeah. And, and they don't communicate the way we do. Our communication is very open door, sit down, have a discussion, work something out and move on. And the clients that can't do that, it's a challenge. Yeah. It was great. Two weeks ago, I visited a project in San Diego, large hotel project. And the owner's representative pulled me aside and said, and it was unsolicited. He said, hey, your team cares more than your competition. And that was a great day for me to hear that. And I believe it. That's excellent. This is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast in KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. 
The Stanford Archive of Recorded Sound is a wonderful resource for those interested in classical music and jazz. The archive contains thousands of historical recordings and numerous collections of printed materials. It's located in the Braun Music Center on the Stanford campus. To learn how you can take advantage of all the archive offers, visit it on the web at lib.stanford.edu backslash ARS. We're talking today with Jeff Hoops, CEO, and Eric Foster, President and COO of Swinnerton. For more information, you can visit www.swinnerton.com. That's www.swinnerton.com. Jeff, you said, uh, I like to pick up on that. We sit down and have a cup of coffee. That human level, I mean, really, that's a very, the most basic level. And you're building multi-billion dollars worth of projects in massive projects that are iconic. How do you, again, share with us how you, you know, examples or stories of how you do that, you know, sit down and have a cup of coffee and say, here, here's where we are with this. It's kind of interesting. I was reading an article just the other day. It talked about a typical CEO, life in a typical CEO. It said most CEOs spend, or just not CEO, but senior managers spend less than 3% of their time with their customers. Less than three? Yeah, that was a McKinsey study. I thought that was really interesting. And I said, well, that's nothing like we are. I probably spend half my time with my clients. And the reason, and that's just who we are, is that we, 95, 96% of our work is negotiated. Clients come to us and ask us to to work with them Mm -hmm. or do a quick fee proposal. We work things out. And I'd say that 75, 80% of our work is repeat. So we spend a lot of time out there with our clients, touching, talking, you know, that type of thing and making sure they're okay. And then getting the opportunity to propose and negotiate work and do these big towers. And we have multi-billion dollar jobs going there are just negotiated. Yeah. And it's based on our brand and our identity and our, uh, you know, references and stuff. And that's how we do our work. It's really an interesting business for us. But I think a lot of that's because we're we're out there Spending time with yeah. our customers. I mean, that's a huge deal. Yeah, you're really engaging. You know, there's there's no difference between a billion-dollar tower from the eyes of the client and remodeling your bathroom in your your personal <laughs> home. The client hires who they know and trust and who they believe will honor their commitments. And it's the exact same process. With regardless of the size of the project, yeah. Correct. Yeah. How much percent would you say is actually people relationship versus the actual construction and the process that you work on. You know, if you, I don't even know if you've quantified this kind of something I'm referring yeah, to. I don't know. I have exact number, yeah. but hugely the interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Huge. So hugely. We, we got a job the other day. We're up in Seattle building a big twin tower, build a suit office building. And we're with a client and uh, the client went out and was talking to a couple contractors and, and they sat down with the client and had lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, he said, the client goes to me, he goes, goes, I'm talking to so-and-so and and you guys. And I said, well, that's easy. I said, so if something happens on that job and you have problems, who are you going to call with that other company? And he goes, well, I don't know anybody. Oh. And I said, well, if something happens here, who are you going to call? He's going to call you. I said, there it is. He turned around, what, three hours later, called us and gave us his monstrous project in Seattle to build, and we're under construction now. Yeah. But that's the relationships that are so important in this business of ours. It's all interpersonal and connections, and I'd say that that's really what it comes down to at the end. Is that interpersonal? Interpersonal relationships. Very real. I mean, these are these are real. It's trust, yeah. right? I mean, construction projects are hard, and things are going to go wrong, and when they go wrong, the client wants 
a feeling of trust that we're going to step in and do our best to, to straighten it up. Yeah. And so the, building that trust kind of starts, uh, you, you said earlier, Eric, that I think uh, I really agree with, is it kind of starts within yourself. You have to kind of have your, your own act together so that you're able to express it further. Yeah. Meeting, I mean, meeting commitments. Meeting is, commitments. Is, okay. the, is the backbone of the construction industry. We, we're contractors. We enter into contracts. That's a commitment. And you'll do anything you can to honor those commitments. Yeah. What's interesting is, um, you know, obviously we're, we're at Stanford, and uh, I don't know if there's any class on meeting commitments 101. <laughs> I don't think there is. <laughs> no, no, but, but really, all facets, we'll stay with the, within the, uh, the AEC industry, the architect, engineering, construction, are based on that meeting commitments. And, and no offense to school, but it's not taught. So I think, where do you kind of get that personally? Well, you're you're taught by your mentors and okay. and your parents and and the other part of not meeting your commitments is the honesty. It's reaching out to your partners and your clients and say, "Hey, I'm not going to meet this commitment, but here's why, and here's what I'm going to do to to do my best to to, mm-hmm. to come as close as I can." That's even a harder thing, I think, than than meeting the original commitment is being honest with your client at all times of what you're going to actually accomplish. I like that at all times. Jeff, uh, can you share with us, you don't have to mention the name or the project, but share with us a, a, a project that kind of went south, but you pulled it back up. I'm sure there's many, but any in particular that you can recall that, boy, this really looked really difficult, and uh, we've got some issues here, but you, you pulled it up. Yeah. Well, there have been several of them, actually, where we just finished one in San Diego with uh, for a client, a repeat client that I've worked for 25 years with. I won't mention their name, but great folks mm-hmm. and we got into a situation where there was lots of design changes things happening and and we weren't going to make the date and so i went down they called me up and said jeff we need your help so i went down to the job met with the entire team and they said we, we've got to be open so we worked out a deal and we said well we'll open this phase this date and we'll get you you know a hundred and some rooms to you can begin to lease out and the 15 days later, we'll do this, and then 30 days later, we'll do that. And we worked out an arrangement, which worked for them also. Mm-hmm. We were able then to start moving their people in and begin their revenues and start leasing. And so we made that commitment. We did it. We did it right on those days, and we were able to deliver that. Other than that, they would have been out a substantial amount of money. And we were able to work a deal and and you know work with the clients yeah. so we can make them successful along with ourselves. Yeah, so tough I, job. I, I, it sounds like I know it's literally no pun intended thinking outside of the box, but you had to do that because that kind of uh, sounds like it transcended the whole building process. It is. And it's the yeah. it's the relationship with the client too. I mean, they've already called us on a couple other deals and it's just it's as Eric said, it's telling the client the truth always. Cuz they got to know too if you don't tell the truth, they're going to be in trouble at the end. We're all going to be in trouble at the end. So always let the client, everybody involved in the project, know what's really happening. And delivering bad news is really tough, but you <laughs> got to do it. And then you got to figure out, sit down with the client and say, okay, you know, what's the game plan? What are you trying to achieve and how can we help you get there? Maybe it's not 100% there, but what piece can we help you create revenue? How can we start making you successful with your pro forma and making the deal work? Yeah. You said you're creating revenue. That's like that's outside the scope of what you're actually paid for. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. No, well, what it yeah. is, yeah, we knew we knew that there's 300 and some apartments there, and we needed to get cash coming into this team. I mean, they're, they're paying out interest and loans, and the sooner we can get them income, 
the less they have to borrow and they start paying down their debt and their interest carry and they start making money mm-hmm. at that point. So instead of waiting, you know, an extra month to do that, we started giving phasing and started bringing in revenue in immediately. So the more money coming in, it's just extra money into that developer and that helps them and, and their returns better. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff we work with. So we try to understand our clients. I think what we try to do really the best is understanding our client's business plan and helping them make that business plan. That's what we want to do, right? Yeah. That's the ultimate. Well, yeah, that is ultimate because it sounds like it's much more so than just the building. The building itself is just kind of a release, a reason to uh, begin another potential relationship. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Maybe That's I was reaching, but no, no, it's true. Okay. I mean, you're basically, you're building this transaction and helping them be successful. They have a business plan, they have a performer, they have goals, they have all these things set up. And the closest you can get them to that, the happier they're going to be. And then you, they call you up for the next deal and the next deal. So you begin this 20, 25 year relationship where they call you on their deals because you're helping them be successful on their business plan. That's, that's how we look at it. Yeah, well, that's really uh, quite deep and kind of high because <laughs> understanding their <laughs> – I have these phrases. Sometimes I don't even know what they mean. But but the business you, – you said here, understanding their business plan. Again, that's really looking like you, you got to understand who they are and why they are who they are. That's right. And then you build their buildings too. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, we look at their financials. <laughs> we ask for their performance when we can get it, and we under- try to understand the cost of their money. How can we alleviate the interest carry? I mean, all we try to understand as a business partner to help them get to the finish line. Yeah. How far reach have you ever gone that's way outside of the scope of the contractual agreement just to make sure they're successful? Have you gone? I mean, you don't, again, you don't have to share the names of the company or the people, but if you can recall any stories where you like, this is really outside of our contractual, as you mentioned there, uh, contractual agreement, but you want to make them be successful. You know, I, Macy's comes to mind. I remember 1996, we took on the joining of the iMagnon building at Union uh-huh. Square to the other building, and it was a barn burner, nasty seismic renovation, working two shifts a day, and they had to be open the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, you know, because their whole, their whole business is the holiday sales yeah. season, right? So changes were just flying, and so you just make the decision with the Macy's management that we're going to do whatever it takes to get you open. And we're going to trust that at the end of the day, it's going to work out because the contractual documents, the drawings and what we actually built were pretty far apart. And so you go out on the limb like that and then you shake hands and you, and you do business together for another 30 years. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're obviously willing to do that just from your experience. How many other companies that you at least are aware of, uh, builders that you're aware of take it to that level that you you know is, is it the, it's is it not the norm well it's just it's, in your experiences it's different i mean a lot of contractors specialize in different types of work so i said 95 percent of our work's negotiated private relationship driven so we have to have trust in our clients we have to have trust we're going to get paid we do our due diligence and make sure everything's okay but we have to trust we're going to get paid so eric said it when you finished up macy's we've been working them for 25 30 years straight yeah and most of their work all over the Western U.S. So we got to have that trust. But other contractors do more public works. So they have different types of clients, right? Where they do mostly educational or, you know, transaction public libraries, all that kind of thing. That's a really a different game because that's our relationships are based on trust and relationships to go forward. Those are based on contract and dispute. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay. the difference, seriously. Okay. I mean, there's two different uh-huh. types of contracting. Uh-huh. So the public works type stuff is really it's contract first, dispute later. Ours is about trust first and carrying a long-term relationship on. So that's how we do our business. We don't make great public works contractors because we trust too much. Ah, and so versus pull out the contract first, we pull out the, you know, the discussion and a cup of coffee and figure out how to get it done. <laughs> Where over here on the other side, they're pulling out the contract and underlining the, the terms so they can begin the negotiation before they start the work. Yeah. So there's really a difference between contractors and the way and what they do for business. Yeah. I, I noticed, um, uh, Jeff, how you're even, even discussed that. There's a changing of hands, and that, again, goes back to that legacy of 130 years. So in a way, if I've gone too far, tell me, but you're actually kind of carrying on that legacy of how they did business 130 years ago when they didn't have all these contracts and people weren't so litigious. It was really based on your reputation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I never thought of it in that context, but I think you're exactly right. Based on handshake, trust, looking a guy in the eye. Yeah, you're you're starting like from with the the essence. That's I mean that that's the essence. I'm I'm, I'm going here. I'm re- taking notes. As I told you, I, I do a lot. And I noticed I lost count of how many times Eric and Jeff you said trust in your in your conversations that that's so fundamental. And it's like the essence of why Swinnerton is what Swinnerton is. Is that a reach or is there? Uh, it's, it, it trust is is everything in the relationship. Our our ideas. You sit down, sign the contract, and put it in the file, and never look at it again. Oh my goodness! Are that's you that's that's what we try to achieve. That's the ultimate job is never to look at the contract again, because oh. you have a relationship and you you end up building the the building. You shake hands at the end, you get paid, and you leave. And if you have to look at that contract, and you know there's a dispute issue, and you know we try to stay away from that best we can. That's excellent. You're listening to the Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, ninety point one. FM. Imagine if you couldn't hear us right now or enjoy KCC's music or public affairs programs. Disabling hearing loss affects 48 million Americans and more than 360 million people worldwide, yet many do not have access to hearing devices. Starkey Hearing Foundation brings understanding among people through hearing care. The foundation gives away more than 175 hearing aids every year. To meet its goals, it needs generous donations from people like you. If you're interested in learning more, visit StarkeyHearingFoundation.org. We're talking today with Jeff Hoops, CEO, and Eric Foster, President, COO of Swinnerton. For more information, please feel free to visit www.swinnerton.com. That's www.swinnerton.com. Eric, Jeff, with architecture and construction, the business of architecture and construction constantly evolving, the expectations for architects and builders evolve as well. Um, what's changed in your experience over the last, say, 10, 20 years? Well, I think computers, obviously, have okay. changed our industry tremendously. I, I know when I started in San Francisco, Skidmore's and Merrill was the, the king of office building architecture, and they had 55... 55-year-old draftsmen who did every detail by hand, and they were the best in the business. I mean, their drawings were perfect. And uh, CAD, you know, uh, economies of of time and and pressure have driven us to to CAD details. And so the architects are forced, you know, to produce documents in a a much faster time frame. And that ability to double-check and triple-check all their details is just not there. So contractors need to be better partners with architects. We need to do more 
help them more design build and design assist and get involved earlier to to get a complete set of documents to me that's kind of the biggest change okay. of the industry yeah jeff would uh, your, your experience on that yeah. yeah i agree with eric on that I, I see us as we move forward the contractor probably taking on more responsibility as eric said we're doing okay. more design design build design assist on all the curtain wall now doing more on structures and then actually doing more and more design build on the overall projects. So we have architects working for us now or with us okay. to do more and more design build turnkey delivery. So we're teams and then delivering, you know, a certain program, certain number of units, whatever that is for the ownership. So I see that continuing and more of a master builder concept where we have the team working for us delivering for the owner. Yeah. So as much as you have, uh, been in existence for 130 years you're also it sounds like creating a new means of business yeah. in a way and not yeah it is okay. a new delivery and new i delivery. think delivery thank you eric knows more about it than i do as far as the tools and stuff but i mean it's amazing the bim and the yeah. computer technology and the sharing of information on jobs now it's really changing yeah and we're really just i mean bim has been around for 10 years or so but we're, we're still not anywhere close to great collaboration of building a project with a model from the architecture to the engineers to the contractor. It's still pretty clunky. Getting better, constant improvement, but we hope it uh, it goes faster as we yeah. go forward. Yeah, I love how you said it's not anywhere great as great a collaboration, but yet you're 130 years yeah. old. <laughs> so it's almost like you're just beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. I think we're at the infancy of, of building infancy information. Infancy at 130 years? <laughs> It is in our in our industry. Yeah. Okay. I think 95% of all data collected in our industry has been collected in the last two years. So we're beginning to see more and more data on productivity data on labor and how to build things more efficient and all that kind of information, just putting that information together and trying to learn from it. And it's it's really interesting. The, the market's changing quickly. And I, I think we'll have a – you'll see more and more of these prefabricated, pre-manufactured okay. templates built. Uh, right now, we're building the largest mass timber project in the United States, big office building. Mm-hmm. And it goes up in about half the time. I don't know if you're familiar with cross-laminate timber, yes. CLT yes. heavy. And we're building the uh, credit union project up in uh, – Is it Oregon? Hill, Hillsboro. Hillsboro, Oregon. Hillsboro, yeah, Oregon. okay. And that project is just spectacular, and but it's going to go up in half the time. We're providing all the detailing, the connections, all the field. And so we're seeing an evolution of trying to pre-manufacture because what's happening now in, in, in all of these projects here, you know, looking at downtown San Francisco, mm-hmm. we're paying a carpenter $100 an hour to be out here putting these buildings up. And the efficiency, I bet you our carpenters now in the last 10 years are less than 50% efficient they were 10 years ago just because it's uh, so difficult and, and the quality what's happening is such a boom in construction that we've hired so many people that haven't been pro- appropriately trained okay so therefore that drives the productivity of the labor way down and therefore you need more overtime weekend work double time and it becomes just more and more project expense so what we've got to do is somehow get the labor out of the jobs and the only way you could do that is work in a factory okay. or a controlled environment where you're paying carpenter $20 an hour, not $100 an hour, and you're getting higher productivity because you're working more of a production line. And that's what you're going to see with cross-laminate timber. You're going to see it with, you know, there's plants, uh, factory OS up in Vallejo where you're seeing prefabricated wood modules. 
Rad Urban Student Prefabricated Metal Modules. There's lots and lots of different products now changing where it's pre-manufactured, uh, prefabricated type things. Again, trying to drive half that labor out of that job and save, you know, 10, 15, 20% of the value of the construction. That's, that's where the industry is getting driven. Yeah. But again, it's, um, it's fascinating that you're talking about innovation with how long Swinerton has been around. It, it, you, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, it really is. You're talking about something that's very forward thinking and it's beginning thought process, but it's, you're, you're uh, you know, you still have the legacy that you have. How does, that, how does that feel knowing I'm, that? I'm coming from a lot of, you know, we, we obviously have done the show for a while and we have other shows with different industries, venture capitalists, startup companies. And you guys are actually sometimes even forward, more forward in my experience, Darlene as well, than some of the venture capitalists and the companies that they're just starting. Well, it's, it's yeah. a brutally competitive business okay. and it's fun and we love it, but it's competitive and you innovate or you die. That's a fact. Okay. So you just have to embrace that. Yeah. So you, you've definitely embraced that. You said 95% of the data that you have has been collected what, within two, three, two years. Two, two years. Last two years. So are you are actually even considering like data science or artificial intelligence to. We, we have our own. See, you guys are, man. Are you. We, we have our own data center now where we're. Okay. Utilizing job data to tell us where jobs were in trouble before we even know we're in trouble on them or that type of thing where we have a whole group. What do you call it? BI? Power BI. Power BI. I mean, they're starting to do data analysis to help us evaluate projects so we can tell months in advance if there's a challenge on the job, do we need to add additional staffing? If the information's not flowing correctly, how do we manage that? So we're trying to get way ahead of the game to see if there's challenges months in advance, where before it was after the fact. Mm -hmm. You didn't know you're in trouble until the job was in trouble. So we want to know now if there's a you know a problem with data transfer communication by utilizing that data we can see another thing is then productivity of labor we okay. can look way in advance and see if as we go if there's a challenge in our productivity if we're going to be losing money on our self perform by all that data we use so there's a whole evolution of data management we're beginning to work on and now we've been collecting data now how do you use it and that's the challenge in our business is how do you use that data that you've collected and exactly. you're you're talking within just 2 years yeah that's it's a been tr- amazing amount of data yeah just is that something that the, it sounds like well you're very response oriented as opposed to reaction oriented in my experience in the building industry it's much more reactive than than response oriented and looking ahead it, that sounds like it's built into your culture well, maybe we, i'm yeah we stretching we, but, we, no we try i mean okay. you're constantly thinking how can you get more efficient how can you do things better one of the big initiatives we've got going on right now is self-performed drywall where we do that say it again self-performed drywall okay. so we do it instead of a drywall subcontractor we want to do the drywall our, ourselves and we want to do it on a design build basis so our vision is the architect gives us the uh, the sound transmission coefficient, the, the details or the dimensions of the walls, and the fire rating. That's it. But the wall type, the size of stud, the number of layers of rock, we'll do that on a design-build basis. We'll do it the same on every project. We'll track product, labor productivity on every project, and we'll know you know who's performing at a high level and who's not real time right now different geographic areas different architects you got different wall types mm-hmm. and it's super hard yeah. to measure but if we do it standard across the board you can really measure things well yeah 
So speaking of measuring, well, you know, um, Angela and I were, were fortunate enough to be at the, I uh, believe, the Centennial Towers in South San Francisco. Yes. And uh, Eric Johnson, Johnson was gracious to provide us a, definitely a thorough tour of it. My uh, experience was terrific because Eric would not only knew the building inside and out, we can tell the plans were just like, like kind of like your, Jeff, your idea of the contract. We do it and then we set it aside and never want to return to it. Whereas Eric has the plans. He doesn't have to look at it except for validation or verification in there. But he has a personalness. There's a personal humanness to him talking about he was interested in science fiction. Yeah. You know, there's there's a human side to him as well as a massive expertise. Is that just kind of the people that you, you like to bring on here at uh, Swinerton? Yeah. Well, it's kind of it's kind of fun, like Eric, the superintendent types. They're mm-hmm. they're the salt of the earth, these guys. And a lot of them or most of them started out with a hammer. I mean in a craft yeah. position and, and started out swinging a hammer and they've built the forms and they've been on the jobs and they've poured the concrete and they've evolved through that whole process to become that superintendent. And so they're the guys that work their hands all these years, and they have a passion for it, right? I mean, they yes. really have a true passion for building this thing, and they take an amazing amount of pride in, in putting those buildings up. And that job went up so great. I mean, it was fun. Oh, yeah. It's just fun to watch it go up. It was a great high-rise. Yeah. And the skin, I mean, the skin was perfect going up the building, and fireproofing, everything just just went oh, right Oh, yeah, up. no, it's, a, it's a quite an I- iconic building. Yeah. But those are the people yeah. we want. We want people like Eric that have, you know, the passion they live and breathe that job. They're responsible for safety. They're responsible for productivity labor. They're responsible for, you know, getting it on schedule. Those are the people that we have. Yeah, definitely. Get. It, it shows. So we're trying to, it's the challenge we have right now in getting people like Eric and the team is that there's a lot of work going on. Mm-hmm, so sure. everybody's busy and it's hard to get those people. So we've been starting to do more, much more self-perform work where we're doing more and more the drywall, the concrete, Doors, frames, hardware, finished carpentry, all those things we can. And what we're trying to do then is take those people that start out as our craft and then move them into foreman, assistant superintendent, superintendent, and basically start our own school oh. of bringing our people along so they're part of our employee family. And so they become shareholders and they're part of the family and they've been brought up since they're you know, 18 years old, swinging a hammer for us. Sure. And, and all of a sudden they have 40 years with us. That's what we're after. We're trying to create that legacy. And Frank Fulmer, who's one of our partners, he started at 18 with us as an apprentice carpenter. And had, you know, he's on the executive team. And he's worked his way through all those steps and uh, from uh, as a carpenter on the project. It's yeah, been amazing. It, it's really exciting. We call it our career blueprint. Okay. And the industry up to now, I think, has done a really poor job of identifying a super talented 18, 19-year-old carpenter and ironworker and giving them a vision that they could run a, a billion-dollar project, you know, and be the captain of that job site team. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put that roadmap in writing and get it to these young journeymen and apprentices and give them a, a vision of their future. Yeah. Now, speaking of vision, there's a quote I've said a couple times on shows, but I think it's definitely relevant here because... You've got had the past, but you're bringing it into the present, and you're also moving in the future. Is of all people, is a, f- a filmmaker, and his name is uh, what is Federico Fellini, and he has a, a quote that I remember verbatim. It's the visionary is the only true realist. Share with me your your thoughts on it. Maybe you disagree, or you know, can see that a little bit. The visionary is the only true realist. I'll let Jeff take yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's, it's interesting. Let me talk a little bit about visionary sure. and where things were going. So 
we, we've really been evolving this company in, with a vision of where we're going in the future. So about four or five years ago, we published what we call the, the March to 2030 and where we're going to take, where we're going to take this company for the last 15, what, 15 years or so. And we've set up, you know, a whole program and it was, it was crazy as a CEO, you know, we had five year strategic plans, right? And then every sure, five years yeah. you update them and they you have a big binder full of stuff and then you throw it in the closet and no one looks at it again, right? No even reason to really <laughs> but anyway, that's not the idea, yeah. but that's what happens. And so what we did is we put together a simple eight and a half by eleven chart, a vision area of where we're going to be in fifteen years. And we laid out all the different businesses we're going to own and what markets we're going to be in. And we published that, and, and every few months we put it into an article or we send it out via email, and everybody's bought in. So it's kind of interesting. So we've always had a passion for re- renewable, uh, the environment, mm-hmm. renewable energy, and that type of thing. And about uh, six years ago, we decided to uh, start up a renewable energy company as one of our goals in that, yeah. uh, in that thing. And so we went out. And we started a small group on uh, doing solar power. And the first one we did was we did we just helped smelt helped another contractor do pre manufacturing and putting some uh, panels together on top of a school. Next one we did one megawatt job. So we began to build this. It's just a business entity. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of out there, visionary, trying to put these things together. Two years ago, we did 1.5 billion in place. <laughs> In that business, we're the largest in the United States and third in the world building solar power plants. And we just evolved into that through this process of step by step by step, brought in a lot of our key builders, put them in that business, educated them. And we're running about, oh, I don't know how many people in that group, 300 people? Oh, more than that. We've probably got 450. Now. 450 in What'd that group. What'd you start group. with? Do you One. Uh, one person. One person. We just started. We did one small job, and we built it over the last six years. We're we're the largest in the United States still building solar power plants. And then we took it from, we're thinking about this, you know, we're thinking, okay, we've got this. And then we realized that no one can manage these plants. There's no software. Yeah. There's nobody to. Oh, no. Did you get into that? Yeah. Oh, Oh, this is great. You created your own? We created our own. (laughs) And so we went out there, and we had a group. We have eight programmers live in Bend, Oregon still programming for us and they ski and they do their thing up there (laughs) and uh so we created our own software called solve s-o-l-v and we decided then to put a whole group together to do operations and maintenance o&m of all the power plants because basically there's nobody to do that somebody's got to manage them i mean clip the power if there's too much power you mean you manage it just like a utility so we built this massive data center in san diego and we have a big data center right now we manage five gigawatts of power. We're like a utility company and we're paid five and 10 year contracts to operate and maintain using our software oh to my manage goodness. the plants. Oh my God. Got this huge organization. I think it's the largest in the United States doing O&M. And started from z- really nothing about four years ago. And we've developed that. And I think we have about 150 technicians running around, but it's kind of interesting to begin build these modules and these businesses and, you know, how you, you know, change Swinerton from the commercial builder into a multifaceted organization that can move forward in the future. And that's our contribution to the, to the environment and renewable yeah. and big piece of our business. Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. This is the Modern Architect Radio Show and Podcast at KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford. 
Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs blood. However, of the 60% of Americans eligible to donate blood, less than 5% actually do. And in the Bay Area, only 3% of those eligible donate. Stafford Blood Center supplies local patients with more than 100,000 blood products per year to help save lives. SBC relies on donors like you to ensure that blood is available when patients need it most. Consider making a difference by donating blood. You could save a life. For more information, visit bloodcenter.stanford.edu. We're talking today with Jeff Hoops, CEO, and Eric Foster, President and COO of Swinnerton. For more information, feel free to visit www.swinnerton.com. That's www.swinnerton.com. Jeff and Eric, uh, about the, the subject again, the vision, what possessed you to say, hey, you know what, let's almost create our own <laughs> software because it's not out there. So your ideas and your 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 practices are ahead of even the industry itself. Yeah, I don't, it really is. Well, you just... You just have to spend time, like I said, getting better and thinking about the client's need. And as Jeff said, cross-laminate timbers really mm-hmm. on our minds right now. When you, you drive around the Bay Area and you see these huge city block type five apartment buildings going yes. in where every single piece of wood is nailed in by a carpenter uh-huh. on site, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense, right? And we've got a skilled totally labor it, yeah. shortage. So let's think of a way to prefabricate multifamily housing. And I think maybe CLT is is one of those yeah. solutions. So we're going to we're going to dive right in and explore how to do a a CLT apartment that can be built in half the time of a type 5 wood frame apartment. <laughs> it's beautiful too. And yeah. the finished product's amazing. Is it really? Yeah, it's all all the floors are underneath the ceilings are all wood and all big beams and columns of wood, and the exterior. I mean, it is spectacular. <sighs> it is so it feels like you're living in kind of an old warehouse with beautiful wood and it's got high ceilings and it's really a great feeling with the technology yeah the technology we can erect one of these like say one city block five-story clt apartment building we can erect the structure with eight carpenters and on a type five eight. yeah a type five wood frame you're gonna have 50 carpenters on site so oh, yeah it's 50 versus eight plus half the time yeah plus half the time it'll be it'll be quick like and you're actually that. creating more work not more work, meaning you're getting more jobs yeah, and yeah. the other facets of that process. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, so it's definitely thinking outside of that. So you, you think about this, though. This, you asked about the visionary question, mm-hmm. and, and uh, yeah. it's a great question. <laughs> okay, thank you. And because, uh, you know, you think about our business, and we're stuck at the real estate cycle, but we lag. So you think about it. When we lag into the recession and then we lag out of the recession construction does sure, right because sure. when we have backlog we probably have 18 months of backlog so as things slow down we we still have work to put in place we're all we're working that 18 months one of our best years ever part of the last several years was 2008 when the economy was really bad that was one of, one our of best your best years, years ever. ever okay because we had this cycle right sure. where we have all the contracts signed and we're putting work in place and then when it starts up, the economy starts, but no one signs contracts or hires GCs mm-hmm. or does design for about a year to 18 months after the economy picks up again. So we're always in this cycle. So we started thinking, like I said, six, seven years ago, how can we flatten that cycle? And what I mean by that is, you know, you hit the recessions and then you hit the boom and the bust, the boom, and the bust. How do we change our business and to be more steady? Maybe that's a beta order. You can okay. have a 1.0 beta up and down, right? The boom and the bust. Maybe it's 0.5. 
And maybe you don't boom and bust as much, but you're steady in what you do. And the only way you can do that is mix your business. You can mix the types of work you do and try to do businesses that are counter-cyclical of the real estate industry, right? Mm -hmm. So you think about renewable energy, it's very counter-cyclical. I mean, it booms when things are down because it's cheaper and you can buy, you can get labor and you can do it. So renewable is kind of almost counter-cyclical of commercial office. Sure. Sure. You know, you think about that. So that, that's what strategically and visionary is what we're trying to do is soften the curve and then providing different types of business that can provide the income and and profit margins that we want, even when things are slow on the commercial real estate side. Yeah. So we've been kind of trying to figure that out as we go. And it's it's been really fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, been- love that. I love that you got strategic and visionary, but you you know, I no, uh, noticed throughout our, um, our interview is um, Eric and Jeff, you're, you're constantly asking questions related to how do we get better, more efficient, more effective, and still retain the heart of the people. Maybe I'm really reaching, but that's That's, kind of where I'm... That question you just asked is the exact right question. Okay. So so there's a... that, That said, there's a... I can't think of a better word, but there's a youthfulness with that because usually that sort of questioning and how do you get better and how do you do things is very related to for like a for like a you know i've got kids and they're it, they think like that but they're kids but the perception is at least and i guess generally is that that's only the only the uh, very the youthful you know the pre 21 year old that thinks like that and yet we're you, you guys are talking like you guys just got out of high school no, no, I feel really. that way too. <laughs> okay, no, really, it, it is, and it looks like you just entered school. I know you, you went yeah, to yeah. college and everything, but yeah. it's like you just entered school. So, do you guys ever turn it off? No, no. and my okay. my wife, I talk about business all the time. It drives her crazy till she can't stand it. <laughs> okay, really, really, yeah. it's it's true. I so, bounce it off her. We'll walk the dog. Hey, what do you think about this? She goes, "I'll oh, give it a rest." <laughs> <laughs> really, Eric? So she's she's. Absolutely. So there's no real turn off. It's all part no, of it's part I of your can't. being in a way. Yeah. Same with you, uh, Jeff. Do you turn it off at all? No, right? never. It's, no, never. It's all the time. <laughs> and it's. I saw something the other day. I answered 167 emails on Saturday and Sunday or something like that because it's just it's the way it is. You can't turn it off. I mean, it's kind of interesting though. You think about this. Is that you know an employee owned company, and a lot of these ideas come from the young people. And we, we asked them, it's open door. If you have an idea, this renewable energy came from a young guy in San Diego who got a phone call and, and said, Hey, let's, this, this is something. We need to look at this. This did come from us. It came from an employee mm-hmm. that had this idea. And then we said, you know, there's something there. So we took it working with them and got some other employees involved and built this multi billion dollar business. From an idea over a cold beer at an employee function. I love, this. I love that's, that's how it was. We're having a cold beer, and the guy says, Hey, got an idea. Let's talk. And so we go, Yeah, there's something there. So we researched it and built this business. And it came again from somebody, some employee, you know, I yeah. won't give you the name, but it's a yeah. young person and by early 30s. Yeah. It's part of the culture. Like we go back to where we started, right? The culture is employee ownership, and you have a voice in the direction of the company. And not only do you have a voice, you have a responsibility to share that voice. Your ideas have to be put forward. Outstanding. Is there anything else you, you looks like our show's winding down. I'd love to continue it. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't shared on, on our, uh, the modern architect radio show? Eric, <laughs> Jeff, any, 
Eric, you went. We've we covered end. a lot of. We've covered a lot of the, a lot at least for today, the essence of uh, Swinerton and it's 130 years and carrying, like just beginning. Oh, it's so much fun! Like I said, we. Uh, it's been fun since '83 to now. I guess. Well, I don't know, it's thirty some years being employee employee on yeah. that evolution. It's been so exciting just to watch the the change from a small family built construction company into a multi billion dollar. You know, we just opened offices in Charlotte and Raleigh and Atlanta, and we'll be going to New York. And so we're we're evolving across the United States, and it's fun to watch every step of the way, and uh, and especially fun to see. Or, you know, our young people coming up and stepping in. We just brought another young person. I call him young person. He's early fifties <laughs> into the executive team. He's number five. And okay. So there's an evolution going on where some of the older guys can, then can retire. And, you know, that succession planning is so important and giving the, we have some early 30 people running two fifty three hundred million dollar businesses and they're young and they're aggressive and they're smart. And I'd rather give them a chance than try to hire somebody from the outside is always yeah. have those young, aggressive, smart people that are employee owners take on that business. They're going to take it and they're going to work so hard, right? They yeah. put a lot of pride in what they do. But that's, again, that's just who we are trying to evolve this business. And I'd like to see it in 30 years from now and see what happens. Oh, I mean, it's going to be you. crazy. Like if, if, if our audience can see, Jeff's got a smile oh, that you so wouldn't exciting. believe just saying that. It's exciting yeah. to watch that evolution of that yeah. company. In 30 years from now, it's going to be crazy. That's Maybe we'll go on the moon and be building on the moon. You know? <laughs> turn on the moon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. let's go. Yeah, look at that. That's great. <laughs> well, Jeff, Eric, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure, and I'm, I'm honored to have to have been on the show today. Thank you very much for, for being here. We hope you consider coming back with us again in the near, very near future. Thank you, Tom. It was fun. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. It. Thank you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been Jeff Hoops, CEO, and Eric Foster, President and COO of Swinerton. Swinerton provides commercial construction and construction management services throughout the United States and is a 100% employee-owned company. What started as a brick masonry and contracting company 130 years ago now boosts technical expertise in mass timber, seismic retrofits, and prefabricated technology and serves clients in aviation, healthcare, education, and renewable energy. For more information, feel free to visit www.swinnerton.com. That's www.swinnerton.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, builder, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, and is a production of KCC Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dero. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kccu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kccu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect.